Hello there, faithful listener. You've tuned in to season seven of the Bible Explained podcast. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee because today we are going to be discussing the book of Acts. Hello and good morning, friends and faithful listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Bible Explained podcast. And I finally got my coffee maker fixed. It was broken last week. It wouldn't pour out any of the coffee. And normally if I just clean it with vinegar or something, it it usually is fine again. For like several months, we have very hard water where I live. And typically just a nice vinegar clean will clean it out perfectly. But it turned out that the inside reservoir of the coffee maker was so bad. It was so clogged up with all of our hard water gunk that it actually made the coffee maker not work. So my ingenious husband tore it all apart and cleaned it out and put it right back together and it is working just as good as new, if not better actually. The I, I made a cup of coffee today, six whole cups, and it all poured out within like 30 seconds. I had a nice hot cup of coffee in my hand after like 30 seconds. That's not even an exaggeration. That is how fast the coffee maker is running now. It's perfect. So that's a good thing because now I have my coffee again to share with you guys as we discuss Acts chapter 23 verses 1 through 11. So make sure to grab your cup of hot coffee and let's go ahead and read this together. I'll be reading out the W.E.B. this morning. Paul, looking steadfastly at the council, said, Brothers, I have lived before God in all good conscience until today. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to judge me according to the law and command me to be struck contrary to the law? Those who stood by him said, do you malign God's high priest? Paul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. When he had said this, an argument arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the crowd was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit. But the Pharisees confess all of these. A great clamor arose. And some of the scribes of the Pharisees' part stood up and contended, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let's not fight against God. When a great argument arose, the commanding officer, fearing that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Cheer up, Paul, for you have testified about me at Jerusalem. So you must testify also at Rome. So if you guys remember what we talked about on Thursday, Paul was almost killed by this big mob of Jews who just hated him. They didn't like the fact that he was speaking to Gentiles and teaching salvation to the Gentiles. They hated it because they also didn't like the Gentiles. So they grab Paul and they're about to kill him when a Roman officer comes up and stops the entire thing. So after questioning and almost beating Paul themselves, 
the Romans come to the conclusion that everything that was happening to Paul was because of the Jewish religion. So the Romans decide that the best way to move forward in this case is to have Paul sit in front of a council of Jewish elders and the high priest as well. Now, that is what Paul is doing currently, where we leave off in Acts chapter 23. So it says in verse one that Paul looked steadfastly at the council and said, Brothers, I have lived before God in all good conscience until today. So the first thing that that Paul says is he actually calls them brothers. This means that Paul was putting himself on the same level as these Pharisees that are sitting in the room with him, because technically, yes, Paul was a brother of them. Paul was a Pharisee for many, many years and still in some ways claimed the title of Pharisee because he grew up in a Pharisee household. He studied in Jerusalem under a great Pharisee. And for all of Paul's young life, all he knew was basically how to be a Pharisee. So he was, in a sense, a brother to these Pharisees that were sitting in front of him. So he put himself on the same level as them. And he says to them, I have lived before God in all good conscience until today. However, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were in the room with Paul when they heard this, they thought that Paul was claiming to be sinless. And this was extremely offensive to them because Paul was up there being convicted for something. And they thought that there's no possible way this man, Paul, could be sinless. So how dare he claim that he is sinless? So the high priest decides to tell the guy that is next to Paul to punch him in the face. And clearly it happens because of Paul's reaction. But the fact of the matter was the high priest and the other elders and scribes and whoever else were in this room with Paul misinterpreted what Paul had said. Paul didn't say at any point in time that he was sinless. In fact, we know for a fact Paul did not believe that he was sinless based upon all of his writings and the things that he said about himself. But Paul often would claim that he lived in good conscience. Living in good conscience does not mean that you believe yourself to be sinless. It means that when you sin, you confess that sin to God and you live in good conscience once again. So Paul doesn't feel an overwhelming sense of guilt every single time he sins. Instead, he lives in good conscience, knowing that when he does sin and when he confesses those sins to God, God freely gives him grace because of Jesus. So Paul doesn't feel this overwhelming sense of guilt. You know, his conscience isn't killing him. So he's not saying that he is sinless. He's just saying that his conscience is clear before God. He doesn't have an overwhelming sense of guilt, even though, yes, he did commit sins and and Paul believed himself to be the worst of men when it came to doing sins. Paul also understood the wonderful grace that Jesus gives when somebody messes up, when somebody sins. So he lives in in good conscience before God. But the high priest, Ananias, instead of asking Paul what he means by that, assumes that Paul is saying that he is sinless. So he orders the guy standing next to Paul to punch him square in the face. And Paul is defenseless. He's probably chained. He probably can't defend himself. He just has to take a beating square in his mouth. And so Paul lashes out as anyone would. He says, 
God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to judge me according to the law and command me to be struck contrary to the law? This is very similar to something Jesus had told the Pharisees in his day. Jesus actually called some of the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, meaning they looked very beautiful on the outside with their coat of fresh paint. But if you walk on the inside, there's nothing but decay and corruption and rottenness and dead man's bones is what Jesus said. So even though the outside looks very beautiful, like a whitewashed wall or a whitewashed tomb, the inside of it is full of corruption. And so Paul calls the man who had him struck a whitewashed wall. Then he says, do you judge me according to the law, but can't even keep it yourself? Because the law clearly stated that a man could not be struck or beaten unless he was found to be guilty. Innocent until proven guilty was basically what the Old Testament law said. But the high priest, Ananias, didn't follow the law. There's an old adage that says the law is only as good as the people who uphold the law. And it's basically what Paul is saying to this high priest. He's saying, you're sitting there acting like you're so holy, pretending to uphold the law, but you're not actually upholding the law at all. And those who stood by Paul yell at him and they're like, do you malign God's high priest? So they're like, how dare you say anything against God's high priest that is sitting right there? How dare you open your mouth against him? And Paul actually apologizes. He says, I'm very sorry. I didn't know that he was the high priest. Now, a lot of people wonder how Paul didn't know that Ananias was the high priest. But don't forget that Paul hasn't been a Pharisee for probably 15 to 20 years at this point. So a lot of things could have changed. The dress of the Pharisees and high priests could have changed. Possibly uh, Paul also didn't know what Ananias even looked like. He never met Ananias before. And on top of that, it could also be that Paul had bad eyesight because that is the tradition, the, the Christian tradition about Paul is that he was going blind th through the majority of his life. But based upon the fact that Paul has not been a Pharisee for many years and also the fact that he very well could have had bad eyesight, that could have been the reasons why he did not recognize Ananias. So he apologizes and he says, it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And that is from Exodus 22, verse 28, which actually says, if I could load it, you shall not blaspheme God nor curse a ruler of your people. But at this point in time, after Paul apologizes, he's beginning to realize that the room he's sitting in is full of both Sadducees and Pharisees. And the reason Paul figured this out is because Ananias was actually a Sadducee. And so Paul realizes that if Ananias, the high priest, is in the room with him, even though he couldn't recognize him by his face, he knows that Ananias, the current high priest at this point in time in Jewish history, was actually a Sadducee. And that brings me to a little bit of history about Ananias, the high priest. This is a different high priest than Annas or Caiaphas that convicted Jesus to death um, and also caused the early church a lot of problems. I also mistook Ananias here for Annas early on. So this high priest, Ananias, is a totally different person. He was he held the office of the high priest for about 10 to 12 years from A.D. 48 to about AD 60, give or take about a year. And Ananias was one of the most corrupt high priests. 
He would take money and tithes that the people would bring the temple and just pay himself all the time. He actually set a precedent for other priests to do the same. So quote unquote, lesser priests would not get their wage because the high priest and the elders were taking huge sums of money from the temple for themselves. So Ananias did a lot of that. He set the precedent to do that. He was also extremely corrupt. He would give bribes in court sessions to get the judges to side with him. He was apparently also pretty cozy with Rome as well, which ended up being his downfall because when the Jewish revolt happened against uh, Rome in Jerusalem in AD 66, Ananias was one of the first people targeted. The people came and uh, destroyed his home, like burnt it down with fire. And when Ananias fled to a Roman area, the people actually followed him and put him and his brother Hezekiah to death. So Ananias did not have a good end, even though he lived an extremely illustrious, wealthy life through bribery and through greed and through just downright stealing from people. His reign of corruption did not last very long, and uh, he died a pretty gruesome death at the hands of his own people. So for someone this brazenly uncaring of human life, you can absolutely see how he would have somebody punch Paul in the face when Paul is totally defenseless. So Ananias didn't care about human beings, really only cared about himself and certainly didn't care about God's laws and was not fit to be the high priest of Israel in any capacity whatsoever. So Paul realizes, though, that Ananias, the high priest Sadducee, is in the room with him. So Paul realizes that Sadducees and Pharisees together are in the room with him. And this is very important because Sadducees and Pharisees were two pretty much opposite sects of Judaism. The Sadducees believed in no resurrection. They didn't believe that angels existed. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in the spirit. They didn't believe really in anything like that whatsoever. Whereas the Pharisees believed in all of that. They believed in angels. They believed in spirit. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul perceives that Sadducees and Pharisees are together. And because Paul is a very knowledgeable man and was a Pharisee for so long, he knows the one thing that is going to divide the room. And he says it. So he says, men and brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of of Pharisees concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. So Paul splits the room in an absolute instant because he mentions the resurrection of the dead, which is true. That is technically actually why Paul was being judged here because he believed in the resurrection of Jesus and was preaching it and proclaiming it everywhere. And other people were mad about that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are immediately split they're immediately angry over the word resurrection. It says an argument arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The crowd was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit. But the Pharisees confess all of these things. A great clamor arose and some of the scribes of the Pharisees part stood up and contended saying, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or angel has spoken to him, let's not fight against God. So if a handful of Pharisees stand up and side with Paul and 
poor Paul is sitting there once again, defenseless, once again, unable to say anything because another riot has broken out. And the, the argument in this room is getting to be so bad that it actually says the commanding officer feared that Paul would be ripped into pieces by these elders. That is how bad this argument got. There is basically a fist fight about to happen in the courtroom. And I can imagine, you know, the the Roman officers viewing all of this must think so poorly of what is happening right now. They're probably just like, why are these Jewish people always so riotous, so angry, causing fistfights all the time? Why? Over religion? Why is this happening? So by force, the Romans go down and they grab Paul by force from among them. That means that once again, Paul is probably beginning to get beaten by some of them. And he takes Paul into the barracks. And this is kind of an end of an era for Paul. Paul's days of being a missionary and being a free man are over right at this point. Until Paul's death, he basically becomes a prisoner of Rome until that time. And while Paul is in the barracks, you can tell he's feeling absolutely downtrodden in the middle of the night. All of these, these fears are creeping up on him. All of these worries. He probably feels like he did something seriously wrong for all these riots to break out. Maybe he's even fearing his own life. And so Paul is lying alone in this jail cell. And yet he's not alone because Jesus appears there with him. And Jesus says to Paul, cheer up, Paul, for as you have testified about me at Jerusalem, so you must testify also at Rome. This is really profound because of several reasons. First and foremost, Jesus gives Paul comfort and encouragement. He says, cheer up. Your life isn't over. Yes, it might suck right now because you're, you're in a jail cell, but you're going to go to Rome and you're going to testify about me at Rome like you did here in Jerusalem. And I'm sure Paul is feeling like he didn't do enough. Like he said the wrong things. Like he, there's something else he could have done in Jerusalem to get the gospel out there better. And Jesus calms all those worries. And he says, as you testified about me in Jerusalem, you will do the same in Rome. So he basically tells Paul that he did a good job. And I'm sure Paul really needed to hear this because we actually find out in the next chapter, Acts 24, that Paul believed that he sinned by causing the disruption in the courtroom with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Perhaps Paul thought that he was trying to hold on to his life. And in that moment, he had a moment of weakness and stopped proclaiming the gospel, being afraid of what the Sadducees and the Pharisees might do to him since they had just punched him in the face for no reason. And so perhaps Paul didn't feel very bold at that moment. And he felt that he had sinned by taking the focus off of the gospel. There's actually a verse later on in Ephesians chapter six, where Paul asks the Christians to pray for him. It says in verse 19 of Ephesians 6, pray also for me that when I speak, words may be given to me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. 
And perhaps Paul was speaking from experience there because when Ephesians chapter six was written, Paul was in Rome already as a prisoner. And he was asking the Christians to pray for him that he would fearlessly proclaim the gospel no matter what. And perhaps he was asking that because he was not always very bold. And to conclude in Acts chapter 23, I'm sure Paul is feeling very upset, very distraught, very worried in this jail cell. And yet Jesus is giving him the exact words he needs to hear. First and foremost, cheer up. Don't be depressed. Cheer up. Secondly, as you testified about me in Jerusalem, you will do so in Rome. So Jesus was giving Paul comfort, saying, you did testify about me here in Jerusalem. You're going to do the same exact thing in Rome. Your life is not over. You will boldly declare the gospel in Rome. It says in scripture that Jesus is the great comforter. And it doesn't say that he only goes to the most holy people like Paul or like Peter or any of the other disciples. It says that he is with every single one of us. So if you are worried about something, just rest easy that Jesus is actually in the room with you. He knows what you're doing. He knows where you're at. He knows what is happening to you. He knows everything. And just as Paul was in this secure Roman jail cell at this point, Jesus knew exactly where he was. And Jesus went into that secured jail cell with Paul and gave him so much comfort. And Jesus does the exact same things for us too. He is the great comforter. He will come and comfort you in the middle of your distress, no matter where you're at or what you're doing. Just call on his name and he will be there. Faithful listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope it comforted you. And if it did, please share it on your social media platforms and tell people that the Bible Explained podcast exists. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel and subscribe to that so that you never miss an episode. But faithful listeners, I will see you guys tomorrow for an episode out of the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. Looking forward to it. I'll see you all then. Happy listening and God bless.